What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today we have Metal Royalty on the show. Real excited to have Danny Lilker on the Talk Louder podcast. Danny, of course, a founding member of Anthrax. He was in SOD. He was in Nuclear Assault, Brutal Truth, a number of black metal bands. Uh, so excited to have him on the show. I got to give a shout out to my co-worker, Ron Bowerly. Uh, yes. Ron, it turns out, back in the day, was in a band with Danny. And this Let's talk about at, Ron real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt. Who the hell is Ron? Tell me. Yeah, Ron is uh, my co-worker. In and, Texas? In Texas, yeah. In Austin? In Austin, How Texas. did Ron, who used to be in a band with the legendary Danny Lilker, end up in Austin? <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, uh, the way I understand it, Ron grew up in the New York area. Uh, I think he was born in California and moved to New York. It gets a little fuzzy. But regardless, he spent a significant amount of time in New York, especially the Rochester, New York area. He went to college there. He was on a radio station, a college radio station. Of course, he's a rocker. He's a metalhead. So he was at the, you know, at the clubs and going to the shows and crossed paths with Danny. And sooner or later, they ended up in not one, but two bands together. And so Ron and I are talking metal one day at work. And this bubbles to the surface that at one point he was in some bands with Danny Lilker. Wow. And I said, what? <laughs> So Ron uh, was kind enough to put us in touch with Danny and Danny was kind enough in turn to, uh, you know, join us today on the podcast. Danny's one of those guys, when I start doing my homework, I realize we could go on and on. And I know we say this a lot of times, but if you take his body of work and you dissect all of his bands, uh, he's been around for a long time and he's done some significant work and a lot of his bands were groundbreaking. You know, you take just Anthrax and S.O.D. alone. Uh, those bands were a massive influence on generations of metal bands and hardcore bands and crossover bands to come years later and that are still being born today. So I feel um, like he's a household name. He's probably cringing right now <laughs> hearing if, if when he finally hears me say that. But it, I'm serious. I feel like... Uh, if you know who Anthrax and S.O.D. is, we'll just start with that because they may or may not be the most popular names that uh, sort of like domino next to his name. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> That's what I mean. And so, you know, you know who he is because he's on an Anthrax record. He's in S.O.D. Da, 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 da. So um, he is legitimately one of the most chill. And I had never met Danny until we did this interview today. He's one of the most chill and most humble people I've ever met. And I've been doing this my whole life. And you've yeah. interviewed the biggest stars in my book in the world. You, you, Dave, you metal yeah. Dave. <clears throat> and so, you know, and you can see them coming a mile away if they're humble or if they're putting on a show or if they're, you know, they don't give a fuck who you are the next day or whatever, it, whatever the case may be. And that's fine. You don't care. I don't care. But Dan, yeah. what an impressive, humble human being. Yeah. I met him once. Smoking in some weed and drinking some wine. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a first on the Best. Talk Louder podcast. Uh, that's I fine. Mean, you know, he, yeah. he, you do you. 
You do. That's right. I don't That's give a right. shit after that. We want you to be comfortable. Yeah, we want you to be comfortable. I met Danny at the Showcase Event Center in San Antonio many years ago wow. uh, when he was with Nuclear Assault. And, and you I did an interview. Up. I did. That was many years later. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the Showcase thing... Um, it was nuclear assault, and I forget who else was on the bill, but I walked oh, up to Danny and had him uh, autograph my ticket stub. I still have it to this day. And then, as you mentioned, many years later, I interviewed him for uh, a piece I did for knac.com. Mm. Um, so, he, yeah, so I've had some experience talking to him. The, the meeting at the showcase was very brief, but the interview... Okay with him for KNAC, I got a sense of how chill he was and how humble he was and just kind of a no-nonsense guy. And one of the things we mentioned in the interview uh, as we were closing is I just wanted to thank him for, you know, truly being one of the early architects of the style of music that all of us have grown to love over the years. There would be no thrash metal genre, no big four, none of this crossover stuff uh, if it wasn't for Danny Lilker and many other people in his circle, but he's certainly yeah. a key player. Yeah, yeah. definitely uh, part of part of the makeup of that entire. I like how you say it when you <clears throat> it sounds kind of generic when you to me anyway, to to our constituents, when you say the big four, it's like, ah, oh, you know, and then people have an opinion. Oh, I like overkill or I like testament right. and they're not part of the big four. Well. You could say the same thing if you go deep enough, I guess. For some of us, you don't have to go too deep to think about something that Danny has been involved with. Well, guess what? He's related to the big four. Oh, yeah. He is in the big four. He's, That's he's, he's right. on the first Anthrax album. That's yeah. right. It's important. Those songs are still in the set, my friend. Yeah. yeah. And who doesn't love the SOD record? I mean, come on. That thing... <laughs> Yeah, it was a, it was a landmark record influenced my, a million bands. My copy is fucking worn the fuck out, as it should be. It is worn out, <laughs> so as it should be. Yeah, you should be proud of that thing that's barely plays. It fucks up every needle you put on, you have on your turntable. <laughs> Killing turntables since 1986. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <clears throat> So regardless, uh, nonetheless, it was uh, an honor to have him on the show today. Uh, thank you, Ron Bowerly, for hooking this up. Thank you, Danny Lilker, for uh, spending some time with us. Real, real quick, I want to interrupt you. Yeah. And this guy, Ron, inadvertently has like made our show this much cooler. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. Did, he wasn't even trying to do that, and he did it. Yeah. So, we were... so this is where I actually where I was going via this interruption. Uh, we interrupt our Talk Louder podcast to give you this bullshit from McMaster again. So check it. Um, you know you're the journalist here, and you 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 know a lot of uh, publicists, and you've worked for some you know name publications. And I always jest and joke, and it's the fucking truth that you're the real journalist, and and I'm Beavis. You know. I'm I'm Garth, right? And you're you're the real journalist because you have these, you know, you have a you're on these uh these flags. You get emails and messages from people. Hey, you want to interview so and so? Here's the people I got. And believe it or not, I get emails from people sometimes too, going, "Hey, this this guy should be on your podcast," or "So and so has a new record," and da 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 da. 
you're the one I think that would be the truthful follow up, follow through and see uh, the worth of having them on the show. Uh, not that we, we are elitist or anything. We'll almost have anybody. I mean, look who's on the podcast right now, you and me. What the fuck? Is, what the hell are these clowns <laughs> doing here? But anyway, not to make this overly long-winded uh, too late. Um, it's important that we, we uh, use our resources that fall into our lap as much as a professional resource. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, th and that's exactly what happened. And we just had a fucking legend on the show because of, because of shit that fell on your shirt. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the guy in the next cubicle was in a band with Danny Lilker. Hello. Small. I, I have a podcast, dude. Let's, let's talk. <laughs> yeah. Small world. Yeah. yeah. So thank yeah. you, Ron. And thank you, Danny, for joining us today on the Talk Louder podcast. Danny Lilker. <laughs> you and i connected and as we were exchanging text messages about a month ago you told me that you're in the process of having your biography written is that correct oh well no it was uh the process of having our biography uh republished okay it came out about 10 years ago and it was put out by bazillion points um, who published it. I'm, see, I'm used to being on record, so I used to say, you know, put out on this company, but still, you know, same thing, different medium. The point yeah. being that uh, there was only one edition of it, and he dude wasn't interested in doing another edition, so once it was sold out, it became unavailable, and a lot of people, I mean, I'm sure that there's like, you know, some kind of electronic version of it now that's still available, but Having the hard copy coffee table book uh, that sold out. So after a thousand copies, I believe, or something. So I'm, I'm I'm coming in late on this, and I apologize that I'm literally. Thank you for telling me it's ten years old. Yeah, uh, I'm ten years late. It, yeah. What's the oh. title of this thing? Um, it's called Perpetual Conversion, which is also well, the Perpetual Conversion, and the subtitle is. 30 years in the life of a metal veteran or I should know this, but, uh, it's been so, 10 years. <laughs> yeah. But it's your, so, um, it's your story. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, That's amazing. Well, I mean, I've just been in lots of bands and yeah, it was brutal truth. We had a day off in Spain and we were driving across the country in a van and I was telling funny stories and people were laughing and saying, you know, you should write a book. And I'm like, I'm too lazy. And the dude who was selling merch for us said, I will. And that's Dave, the author. Wow. So, oh, Perfect. here it is. Actually, it was brought here. Perfect. So yeah, one more I, time. I, Tell I, us the title one more time. Perpetual what? Well, I'll have to read it. Yeah. Perpetual Conversion. Per 30 years in counting in the life of metal veteran Dan Lelker. I love and it. It's me with a Celtic Frost shirt, just like a bacon. Yes. Nice. Nice. And, uh, I see. Appropriately yeah. dressed. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, yeah. That so when you're going, bad. when you're doing the, when you're going through the process of re, you know, gathering all the memories in order to put a book together, um, what stood out to you as sort of either both the the funniest moments or the funniest memories, and then maybe some of the more challenging or uh, difficult memories. Well, the funny ones, uh, 
there was a lot of funny ones, but um, it was so a lot of stuff that um, what helped me remember was all the laminates and tour posters and tour books and everything that I took home with souvenirs, like all posters like you guys got behind you and everything like that. I have a bunch of those from shows I've done and everything. But um, like as far as funny stuff, there was uh, when Brutal Truth toured Europe in 94 with Pungent Stench from Austria and Macabre from Chicago. Macabre always sung about serial killers and uh, they had one song. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the band or not. Uh, about Albert bit. Fish, the serial killer. Yeah. yeah I, had, I had, it was on their old demo. I had an old demo with that on it. Right. And because yeah. uh, they actually had two different songs about Albert Fish. But one was oh, okay. Children, Your Favorite Dish, and one was. Albert was worse than any fish in the sea. But uh, yeah, I'm channeling a little corporate death there. But uh, the point being that uh, the song we were talking about was, I think, worse than any fish in the sea. And then the chorus, um, corporate death, the vocalist would use this high-pitched shriek and go, Albert, really high. I, they, my version of it is very uh, weak. But uh, after doing 50 shows with those guys, we... Uh, to the last show in Portugal, we were delirious. It was like 50 shows and like 55 shows in less than two months. And we were just like, mm. oh God, we're finally going home. And we're uh, the promoter comes up as we're having our morning like coffee and crap that the promoter had supplied at the tables. And he goes, Hey guys, how you doing? I'm really glad you guys are here. If you need anything, I'm the promoter. My name is Albert. We all looked at him and screamed, Albert. And you know, like 20 guys doing that. And he goes, <laughs> Yeah, humorous. As far as challenging stuff, I mean, that would be more like if I decided I didn't want to play in a band anymore, then I just kind of left and did something else because that's what I do and I don't do it to be an asshole. But I know that like when I left Nuclear Assault in 92 to do Brutal Truth full time, I know I let some people down. Mm -hmm. But um, I play music because I enjoy doing it, not to make money or get laid or anything like that. And if I'm not enjoying it, then I'm not going to do it. So, yeah. Sure. Right. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. I interviewed you once about, God, it's probably been about 20 years ago for KNAC.com. And you told me at that time, I asked you, in fact, I said, um, what, why do you tend to bounce from band to band? Is it, is it that you just get bored or get tired or things just kind of run their course and it's time to move on? And you basically, you said you had a short attention span <laughs> and, and, and that seems to be the case. Is that, is that still the case? Yeah, that hasn't changed. Um, yeah. yeah um, Cause each band that you've been in, you've, you've gained some traction. I mean, uh, brutal truth had a nice long run. Nuclear assault had a nice long run. Um, and then I know you've been in a bunch of like black metal bands and that sort of thing. A, a lot of them actually. So, um, it, I, I was, guess I was questioning at the time why you would leave something that's, you know, sort of gaining momentum, at least from an outsider's perspective. Well, I think most of the bands that I left had already gained momentum and kind of, uh, were on the way down already. And that's not why I would have left. Like, oh, you know, this isn't, but, um, well, Anthrax, I left because I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Um, SOD was kind of just folded because it was getting too popular and other guys in Anthrax were getting mad. But that's what kind of happened. 
Mm-hmm. Nuclear Assault, I left because I wanted to play full-time with Brutal Truth. And at that time, I just was bored playing Thrash. And Nuclear Assault had already kind of peaked. So that was already past the gaining momentum stage. Um, Brutal Truth, though, we were still in 98. See, this is kind of touchy because the what happened with Brutal Truth the first time around was due to, like, inner band squabbling and to be honest so that's not something that any of us have ever we kind of made a pact like all right we're not going to air our dirty laundry but there was things where the there was just a, too much negative energy because people weren't getting along and we couldn't focus on playing an alien violent grindcore anymore yeah. so um i just looked at our the, i looked at the other dude who wasn't involved in the squabbling and said, yeah, fuck this dude. And he went, yeah, you're right. That was that. Yeah, go ahead. We were definitely past the momentum stage, but we were also still like, you know, people were fucking crushed when we broke up. But again, I will only do something if I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned Grindcore, and I wanted to ask you because... Uh, you're a connoisseur of grindcore music and grindcore hasn't yet anyway sort of reached a what i would consider a commercial peak and i know that sounds crazy but if you go back to 1980 no one would have ever imagined that anthrax slayer megadeth metallica that those bands that sound would eventually gain mainstream and a mainstream audience so keeping that in mind, in your opinion, why has Grindcore not really found a wider audience? Hmm. Well, I mean, there is a line where of acceptability, I will call it, in regular society. And once, I mean, sure, I could never have imagined in 1982 or 1984 that, you know, Metallica would be on car commercials one day. But that's also because they kind of chilled their sound out and became more rock Metallica, in my opinion. Yeah, but, right. Uh, uh, real grindcore or real black metal or real underground shit, um, it will only be referenced. You'll hear bands in more palatable genres like metalcore do these kind of riffs once in a while and quote that kind of stuff but that kind of stuff full on you know grindcore um it wouldn't reach a wide audience because it's just too fucking abrasive and yeah you could have said that about metallica in 1984 but like i said they reach this point where the it goes off the curve and yeah you know that's where it reaches a point where most people just go wait because yeah, you know what people say, like your uncle, like, you know, why are they screaming? Why are they yeah. so angry? Yeah. They're not angry. They're being yeah. brutal. The, uh, the, they, yeah. they when, when your parents and your grandparents and your weird uncles and, and, you know, oh, it just sounds like noise. I can't understand the lyrics. It's like, I don't give a fuck if you can't understand the lyrics. That's the kind of music it is. I don't give a fuck about you. I don't give a fuck about being correct. And that's, that's what the music is about. And I, I, uh, not to, you know, get on my box for a second, but I'll tell you, it's not supposed to gain any sort of, uh, 
acceptance. It's supposed to be for the people who like lo-fi, for the people who like uh, demo versions of the, the heaviest, weirdest, craziest sounding noise metal. Uh, uh, and, and I feel like, how do you feel about what I'm saying right there? Is that basically, are you in agreement? Oh, I would say absolutely. I'd say uh, you definitely got that in a nutshell. That there's yeah. a, because it's also about a certain attitude that comes with all that. Exactly. You know, uh, I'm not playing music to please anybody, for one thing. <laughs> yourself? You know? Not even yourself. Oh, well, ironically, no. Um, <laughs> I was I was uh, I was kind of kidding, and then like I'm like surely you're getting some enjoyment by being a disruptor of things calm, you know? Oh no, no, I definitely enjoy yeah, that. Okay, part, good. Okay, know? yeah. Um, it's like yeah, brutal truth has given people migraines since '92. Right? I, that's a bumper sticker <laughs> I would put on the car. Yeah, that is a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What are you doing uh, musically as of today? What you, what are you currently involved in music-wise? Well, um, ironically, as of about a year ago or so, um, I actually stopped just randomly because of different bands I was playing, and including Nuclear Assault, I actually stopped playing in any full-time bands. Yeah. Just kind of coincided, it dovetailed with getting a cool job around here where I work in precision optics, that doesn't mean eyeglasses. That means shit. They make glass so flat they can bounce lasers off it in space and stuff like that. Far out. Really. I mean, that's not you know what I set out to do: be a precision optician. The point being that um, I'm going to be sixty next year. Yeah. So um, happily married. I've been a, we've been homeowners now for uh, four months. Congratulations! And, uh, uh, multiple levels. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. you're welcome. And, I've reached a point, I've reached a place in my life where um, I'm just content. I might occasionally jam with some people, but I can't say per se that I'm playing in some band that I'm going to promote or anything. Like, yeah. I'm doing, okay, so at the end of this month, I could say this month now because it's December. I'm not sure when this is going to air, mind you. It's probably already happened, but uh, <laughs> Scott Ian's birthday party is December Ooh. 31st in L.A., and I've been invited my wife and I are going out there, and I'm going to be jamming with various people. I get to play uh, Into the Void with Dave Lombardo. Hell yes. So <laughs> there will be some weed smoke before that, I promise. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's, some, that's some cartwheel stuff yeah. going on there. Yes. Um, so is this like a, a secret birthday party that Not no one part. knows about? Well, it's not a secret as much as that it's very exclusive oh okay you know, uh, so it's it's certain people are invited and the rest of the world ain't i get so, it <laughs> i don't we, know we ain't I'm, we ain't i mean we we're nobody well, we ain't so that's just fine i'm apparently part of the entertainment so what scott's doing is he's got a whole bunch of people <laughs> to play a whole bunch of songs like rock songs and metal songs and punk songs and what it is kind of seems like Instead of having a DJ play his favorite favorite shit, he's got a whole bunch of dudes he knows who are going to play all his favorite shit live. Nice. And, like, rotate this. Like, I'm playing, like, eight songs, but there's more than eight songs. Right. I'm playing uh, Into the Void, The Ripper by Priest, two Bad Raid songs, two Minor Threat songs, 
um, subliminal by suicidal and teenage lobotomy. My record, right. our, our collective record collection. You got the Ramones. Is, well, there you go. The end um, of your so fingertips. Yeah. I have no idea if it's going to get documented in any fashion. Oh, so. I hope so. Yeah. I hope that so. sounds like a great fucking time. So but speaking of. Speaking of Scott Ian, uh, this is great to hear. I mean, I, I, I assumed for many, many, many years you guys have st- remained friends. But going back to the beginning when you and when you and Scott founded Anthrax, and then you finally got your first album out, you got to hold it in your hands and show it to everybody. And three days previous, you were kicked out of the band. And how how did Scott how how because the sticking point as far as I understand is Neil Turbin. So what was the, what was the straw that broke the camel's back between you and Neil and led to you leaving anthrax? Well, I was asked to leave. I didn't have a choice, but, uh, (laughs) well, let's just say that Neil and I had different definitions of what professional meant. I uh, was more into making sure that the songs were good and well played and rehearsed. And it wasn't just about what you looked like and how you appeared and image based kind of stuff like that. I was just going to have the same fucking jeans. I mean, yeah, I'd wash them once a week or something. I don't know, but um, I'm generalizing. But yeah, um, we all clashed with Neil a bunch back then. Because remember, he was only in the band seven months after me. They kind of realized they threw the wrong guy up, but by then it was too late. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. But uh, the point being that things happened for a reason. Yeah. And uh, I went on to do nuclear assault. And then, I mean, in April 85, which is about 15 months after January 84, when I was thrown out or 14, whatever, I was a. Uh, Scott called me and said, you want to play in this little fun hardcore band with me and Charlie? And that ended up being SOD. Right. Yeah, it was going to blow up like that. But so, yeah, I think it was more like that. Neil had told the other guys, I'm tired of dealing with Danny. It's him or me because I would bust his balls because he had no sense of humor and it was easy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think that, you know, anybody paying attention could make the determination that, as you said, it wasn't long after you're in a band with Scott and Charlie that you're an SOD. So obviously there wasn't any really bad blood between you three. It was obviously coming from another source. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously I wasn't thrilled when I was thrown out and, you know, Scott was put in a very much a rock and a hard place there because I guess Neil was pushing to have me thrown out and then nobody had done anything. So Neil took it upon himself to call me up and just throw me out of the band himself. And then I called up Scott and said, well, dude, what the fuck's going on? And he's like, come over. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. And then, uh, yeah, so. Wow. Um, anyway, yeah. Let's go I, all, I, the way, all, the way, all the way back to the very beginning with, with Danny. What got you hooked on rock and roll? Well, my sister would play me classic rock stuff. She um, passed away. But in 86, but before that, she uh, got me into stuff like, you know, first the Beatles and the Stones and then the Who. And then it became the heavier stuff like Cream and Hendrix and all that. 
And once I got exposed to all that stuff, I started pursuing it on my own. And first it was Led Zeppelin and then uh, Black Sabbath. And you know what happens then? Oh, yeah. And like, Holy <laughs> shit. And then, yeah. Everything after that was Judas Priest, Motorhead. You guys know the same story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Tower, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Watchtower. Okay. Or out. Here's a plug. <clears throat> well, listen. Uh, speaking of that sort of era, uh, you know, where it's you're, you, you know, probably not long predating your being, you know, your short time with Anthrax, and then, you know, all through SOD and and new, just your whole like heyday, I guess you will, your younger days, but you're still up in it and kicking a bunch of ass uh, on the East Coast scene. There are photos in recent times that have been floating around the internet where there's a Danny Lilker sighting in the front row at like Raven shows from 1984 and 83 and shit like that from, yes. from clubs up and down the East coast where you were, you know, a fan of all, of all of the cool, you know, bands that were, that, that we were all, all into and and i think that that's really great and if you pretend for a second that you're not dan Loker and you and someone's just kind of looking you're you're someone else looking into a box that is your life <clears throat> and there's flyers that you know any collector would hang up in the in their man cave or whatever having a a coffee table book or whatever part of your story uh, as well as these photos of little Danny in the front row at a Raven show or, or what the fuck ever. And, you know, maybe TT quick, you know, stuff and, 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 uh, and just that whole thing and go, uh, God damn, this guy is a legend and this guy helped create a sound and a tone and an attitude and, you know, uh, it, it just makes me think of like Harley from Cro-Mags and you and and just the whole fucking like things explode, carnivore and whatever. You know, it just makes me think of all that shit blowing up out there. And guys like me are in Texas pointing over there going, that's there's some crazy shit going on out there. And you're that's again, I'm pretending that you're not you're your outer body experience looking in going, God damn, there's a lot of cool shit going on right there. You know, it just kind of, I'm not trying to, I'm pointing at you, but I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable by saying, you know, there's a lot of badass shit that your name is on. And, uh, it's, it's an honor to, to meet you and talk to you finally, but that's a little fluffer there. But yeah, at the same time, I think that, the dude that wrote your book, you need a book because of the places and things that you helped create on that scene, whether they were short-lived, I'm going to do something else, short-lived, oh, I was kicked out, I got my own thing, oh, you guys are assholes, I'm quitting, blah, blah, blah. whatever it was, it doesn't fucking matter. There's a bunch of kick-ass shit, and, and uh, I, I just want to thank you for that. <laughs> well. You're very welcome, man. That was very flattering, man. I was, I was well, I was too. trying to make it. I was just trying to make it cool because I don't mean it to come off that way at all. Oh no, but, no, I've had that thing where I look in the box and all that stuff. You know, um, yeah, the old bowling trophy. You're like, oh fuck, oh shit. You know, same kind of um, thing. We have 
recreational weed here that's like 42% THC. So that shoebox is always around. Um, <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> but uh, no, and the, the picture of me in the front row at a Raven show, you could tell it's a long time ago because I am wearing a white shirt with sleeves. With sleeves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When's the last time the world saw you dressed exactly. like that? Probably when's a Raven show in you... Probably Raven 1982 <laughs> or 83 or something. Well, oh, that's right. That wouldn't have been 84. It would have been before that. Yeah, uh, 83, 82. I wear uh, shirts with sleeves at work, but they're still, you know, death metal and black metal shirts. They just you can't see my shoulders. Right. That's all. It's still, you know, <laughs> immolation. Right now I'm wearing an immolation shirt with no sleeves because we're really good friends with those guys. So I have so much of their merch that I'm practically like a billboard. That's okay. But it's a good I'm sure they appreciate what are, it. What are friends my, for? What are friends death metal band. They're Fuck, like a yeah. nice warm blanket that's full of maggots. <laughs> that should be a hype sticker on their next album. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I told Ross that once. <laughs> How did you meet um, Billy Milano? Because he lives in Austin now, and Jason and I have known him for years, and uh, obviously he played a significant role part in your musical life do you remember the first time you met him it would have been one of those intimidating going down to cbgb's hardcore matinees where agnostic front and the psychos are playing and billy played bass in the psychos uh the, the drummer was also named billy so he was billy psycho so billy was billy milano and that's what he still was but that was one of those things where me and my friends metalheads would go down to these CBGB's hardcore matinees and see these skinhead hardcore bands because we liked the music. There was, you know, fast and noisy. And we'd be a little intimidated and apprehensive, like, oh God, I hope we're not gonna get the shit kicked out of us by these big beefy skinheads. But then we get there and they'll be like, hey man, you're that guy from nuclear assault. You wanna go out and burn one? You want a beer? Blah blah blah. We're like, oh okay. And uh that's how that's, I met people like Yeah. That's that's cool. They were paying attention. To what you had going on so that's that's awesome yeah so um they knew what we were doing and we were also like okay we'll live another day too yeah <laughs> so but yeah that, that is how i met billy so when scott called me up and said do you want to play in this fun hardcore band it's going to be me you charlie and this guy billy Mo. i'm like oh i know that dude yeah that guy can do it because we just knew him as a bass player so I'm yeah. sure he could sing. I'm sure he could fucking do it, you know. Sorry, the other cat just showed up, getting distracted. That's all right. <laughs> so you did the Stormtroopers of Death, uh, the Speak English or Die album. Um, I, I, that record, it stands as one of the most influential and also one of the most controversial. So what's the greatest compliment you've ever gotten on that album and also the biggest criticism you ever got on that album? The biggest compliment was like before it was even it even came out. Uh, Scott, Ian, and I were in Washington Square Park in Manhattan, and Exodus was in town for some reason. They must have been playing some shows or something, maybe even with Nuclear Assault, because I was around the same area when time when it was recorded. And me and Scott were hanging out with. Do you remember Rick Hunnels, the original yeah. guitar player? Yeah, yeah. And 
we were in Washington Square Park with him, and we had a boombox and the fucking advanced tape because it's oh. 1985, so you had an advanced tape, literally <laughs> a fucking fancy ass TDK, you know, the good ones, yeah. <laughs> not the ones with the red on the inside, the ones with the gold or the Maxell or something. Mm. And we're like, hey, dude, you know, and of course, Scott didn't partake, but me and Rick blazed a bunch of weed. And then there were, Scott was like, hey, man, you want to hear this fucking advanced tape of this project we were doing? He's like, sure. And then as soon as he heard that, duh, 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 Rick's eyes, which if you look at the back of Bonds by Blood are usually pretty fucking bugged out Homer Simpson, kind of like as it is, um, expanded even more. <laughs> and the point being, we saw the expression on his face and he was going like, holy shit. And then we realized that, you know, we'd done something that was going to have a killer impact. As far as the most negative stuff, that's really just people who misunderstood it and thought that we were a bunch of fascist or racist or whatever like that. And yeah, we were, those people were, it was, we were intended to piss those people off. So it just more sucked with somebody who we respected and who was like actually smart was like, was offended by it. And we were like, dude, we we're just kidding. They're like, Oh, okay. Whatever. Yeah. I, I think about that album uh, a lot coming out in 1985. And then you look at it to, you know, think of the times today. Oh, and right. I, the old cancel culture topic. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, the, on the one hand, when it came out, I think people were a little less uptight and people actually saw the humor in it. But at the same time, you didn't have the Internet. So unless you were a metal kid or a, or a hardcore kid digging through the the bins at the local record store, a lot of people didn't really hear it. It was underground. Now it's it's readily available in multiple formats all over the world. And the world is a much more uptight place. So it's like, you know, would it stand a chance today because it's more readily available or would the cancel culture cancel it out versus back in the day there, people were probably a little more tolerable and saw the humor in it, but a lot of people couldn't find it necessarily. Well, what would probably happen if people had the balls to do that today, which of course I would, you know, applaud is that, uh, if people misunderstood it, it would be much easier to explain. We're just having some fun. However, you'd have to balance that with the uptight nature of today, where people would just be like, oh, well, that's still not cool, man. Right. So it probably wouldn't make it. It would probably be, you know, frowned upon horribly. So no matter how much you went to the trouble of saying, we're just trying to be obnoxious, <laughs> that uh, you just can't do that now. And yeah. I'm proud of that record, you know, I'm, I don't have any regrets about doing that because if you couldn't tell that, I mean, we had a song about not having milk in the morning when you were hung over. So if you couldn't see the big picture that it was really just having a laugh and being decidedly obnoxious and provocative without really, I mean, you know, it's a band with like two Jews in it, you know? Yeah. 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 I was going to went platinum. Out. It went platinum, right? Well, not officially. Not officially. Well, no. Um, we kind of had a little, took a little poetic license with the definition of platinum. Um, <laughs> I love that it. record sold a million copies over the course of the time it's been out to whenever that was, I mean, recently, but all over the world in all territories. An official platinum record has to be, I believe, in a million one records inside the United States or something like one that. One territory, yeah. Yes. So, 
it's still it's not a bad feat considering that it was done for five thousand dollars we did it in four days and it was mostly just having some fun and of course that was great because there was no pressure had we known oh you're going to sell a million copies of this then you'd be like oh shit we better rehearse more (laughs) still Uh, makes me laugh my ass off yeah exactly Hey, uh, hey, Charlie, don't start it. Hey, Charlie, don't start it. Hey, Charlie, don't start it. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's like part of the whole thing. And people are getting their panties in a bunch over other songs. And well, uh, <clears throat> some people, I think, like to. I don't know how to say this. Uh so people go out of their way to criticize stuff like that so they can impress their friends or something. Mm, so yeah. I don't know. Well, I'm proud mm. owner of the vinyl and and the t-shirt. Uh the yeah. OG. The it's like it's you know, it's it's a washcloth, but right. <laughs> like it's you know, the white the white shirt you guys had. It's see-through. Right. Uh, and I've oh, seen that- like bootlegs and reissues of it and uh i'm probably gonna have to break down and get one of those because i want to wear it <laughs> no it's great that you still got that it's even great that it hasn't fallen apart too yeah you know <laughs> well so, I, it just hangs in a in the closet it doesn't it right can't. if if it if i were to hey check this right did, did you tour with uh, with Motorhead and the Plasmatics on that SOD record, speaking with No, that friends? was just, uh, we did a show with Wendy O and Motorhead and the Chromags at the Ritz in New York. Oh. That's where, if you saw that thing, that was just, uh, that was a rock hotel show, which was, uh, there was a promoter in New York, Chris Williamson, who put on shows at the Ritz. And he would put on various, like, really interesting lineups, so that one, yeah, it was Motorhead, Wendell Williams, SOD, and the Chromags. So, I think that's a, perf- that's perfect a great billing. lineup. That's did perfect. you get to spend any? Did you get to spend any time with Wendy O? Uh, I met Wendy O briefly, and uh, ironically, now uh, since I have moved to Rochester, New York, from uh, New York where I grew up, and she is actually from like what you would call a suburb of this area. Yeah, the same sixth grade teacher. In fact, she she and my lovely wife had the same sixth grade teacher. Wow. Not the oh, same wow. year, however. But yeah, I uh, met Wendy O and briefly, I didn't like party or anything. I just saw her when she was on the way out. And we were like, hey, Wendy, just wanted to say nice and gentle. Like, oh, yeah, you guys were great. Blah, blah, blah. Take it easy. That was about it. Yeah. 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 Wow. Man, I could talk all day about that Speak English or Die album, but we should move on. Yeah. So when Nuclear Assault comes out, you personally, you've got a name because you are you were part of Anthrax, you were part of SOD. That style of music is starting to gain traction, starting to sell records. Um, did Nuclear Salt live up to your hopes and expectations, or did you did you feel like there was still more to accomplish? No, I'm actually quite satisfied with whatever you with what you'd want to call the career trajectory of nuclear assault. Yeah. Of course, not that I would concern myself with that when you formed the bands, but as far as what we accomplished, what we reached with the music we played, um, I really can't complain. I mean, sure, we never dented like the big four or something like that, but we also had songs like Hang the Pope, and, you know, I think we were more, there's a reason, you know, we 
incorporated a lot more hardcore into our sounds and like so i think we were a bit edgier than stuff like the bands i was referring to including a former band i played in so considering what we sounded like and everything i think i can't really complain about we had ended up headlining the hammersmith odeon you know things because you know when you have that motorhead album when you're a kid you no know, sleep till hammersmith and then like one day i'll play that place and then you do you're like oh i guess we made it now but um dude dude when, yeah. when i did it again I did a gig there and uh, you're what you're saying is mirroring my thoughts. I mean, I'm standing on the stage and I'm going, okay, shut up guys. I got to say something. And, and, you know, I say something to the audience is like fucking long live motorhead. You know, I said something dumb, you know, but I said the same thing at Cobo hall because I'm a kiss nerd. So, right. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, that's impressive that you would headline a venue like that. Uh, in a band like Nuclear Assault, you know? Yeah, that was pretty much the peak there. That was the Hanselwood Care Tour. Um, another cool thing that we did on that tour was we did like 10 or 11 dates supporting Slayer in the UK. And then we'll, yeah. the last gig randomly was in Zurich. So it was like 10, 11 shows in like England, Ireland, Scotland, and then we flew to Zurich, Switzerland. <laughs> But, to do one show? Yeah. And then we went home from there. Oh, the Swiss were psyched, though. Germans were like, you bastards, how come you didn't come here? But <laughs> got mad. So, Did Tom, was Tom Warrior around at the Zurich show? Uh, Tom wasn't. Oh, but Martin? Years later, I met the guys in Sam Al. And okay, one of the yeah. first things yeah. they said was, we saw you with Slayer. <laughs> oh, cool. That's cool. The evil voice, yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow, that's um, cool, man. Have you ever uh have you ever auditioned for a a, a band, a, a band that we would have heard of and, and it didn't work out for some reason? Because I see with you and your reputation and your connections in the circle that you come up from, I see like opportunities where not that you would necessarily be interested, but I could see you uh, throwing your hat in the ring to maybe uh, join Metallica or Megadeth. I knew this was going to be a Cliff Burton question. <laughs> well, well, not just Cliff, but also Megadeth, Voivod, uh, even Ozzy Osbourne. Did anything ever come along that you tried out for that we don't know about that just didn't work out? No, because at the risk of sounding arrogant, I'm like one of those guys who forms bands I have like that drive and vision. I'm not a control freak, but I need to write a lot of music and just be fully. So, of course, now in that horrible time, it's September 86. The next time I went to see the GVs, I was getting a lot of elbows in the ribs from all my skinhead friends. You're going to join Metallica, dude? You're going to join Metallica, dude? Mm. And uh, apparently it had been run by James. And then James went like, Danny Looker? Nah. And uh, that was it. I was over five seconds. Right. I was told that second hands. Um, no, I've never actually auditioned for a band and it hasn't worked out at any band that you guys would have known. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, given, again, your history and your trajectory, I can see where you're sort of uh, more comfortable being the captain of your own ship rather than... There's a cat in the sink. I see. You guys can't see, but there's a cat in the sink. Is it your cat? <laughs> 
Yeah. It's <laughs> oh, okay. Cat. Well, thank well, God a, it's your cat. Plus. If it's the cat, just bring them over it. here, would you? Yeah. Okay. We're, we're a pet, pet friendly we're... podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Oh, there he uh, is. That's a. This is, is that Hank. A, that's a hey, big Hank. Boy. That's a big cat. Yeah, and he's going to start squirming real soon. Except he loves his daddy. <laughs> awesome. See, What's you're up, famous Hank? again. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> King Diamond would have a cat that looks like this. That's Absolutely. right. That's right. Yeah. King is a cat. <laughs> King is a cat person as well. Yeah. yeah, I was just curious because uh, you do seem to run in that in those circles, and I know. Um, you know, I was particularly interested in Voivod because I know you're a fan and they're sort of a little more maybe in your realm than, say, maybe what Metallica turned into or maybe even Megadeth. But I can understand you wanting to sort of uh, steer your own ship. If I may just throw my opinion up that I don't care if anybody cares about it or not. I was just want to I want to say I can see Dan in something like you're sort of fantastically creating here for fodder, Dave. I can see Dan doing something like that, but I can also see the worry uh, of Dan being like realizing this. Wow, this is cool. I love these guys. Uh, yeah, if I can't write songs the way I want them to be, I need to not do this. And it, yeah, it, danger of well, it being short lived, maybe. I mean, actually, as far as Voivod, I mean, we could circle back to that real quick. If, at some point, you know, I know that, you know, after they, so there was Blackie who came out, then there was that dude, Eric, who was actually, then he got in a fucking shitty car accident. Hmm. Huh? And Jason Newstead. Right? And Jason Newstead, that's right, Jay Sonic. Yeah. If I had been offered a position in Voivod, as somebody who was a real big fan of the band, that would have been very much an honor. I would have been extremely flattered, but then there would have been logistical stuff. Is this in the internet age where I could still live where I live and go rehearse in Montreal once in a while or something like that? Because that's a band I've always respected intensely. And I would think that if it was the Voivod you're talking about now, if Rocky wasn't in the bands and you know Daniel and Denise and Denise had called me up and said, hey, you know, they would also know that I would have the right mindset to be able to create music with them. And I wouldn't be shut out. But if it was an 86 Metallica situation, then that would have been quite different because, you know, that's James and Lars's band. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And, and uh, I believe that you uh, would probably respect that and respectfully have to, as I was kind of saying, end up declining because, you know, you start to think about it for a second, you need to have your freedom as a writer and a creator. And that would be a horrible, it would be a horrible conflict, you know, saying, Oh, well, I might have financial security, but I have no creative freedom. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know that going in. So it's like, what am I doing here? I can't, it's not really going to work. Well, There's, I'm not, I'm the fire breathing dragon. It's just, no, lead. that's fine. Take your um, time, dude. <laughs> um, I can corrupt people, though. You know, if I ended up joining a band of that stature, I could just yeah. start fucking sneaking shit in here and there. But yeah. that wouldn't be, she shouldn't have to. But right. and again, I, it's not I about mean, being a control freak. I'm just used to like my position in a band is like having this kind of vision and I did it here. Well, 
Actually, I did join a band in Rochester featuring Ron Crucifist. Yeah. Ron and I went on to do a nocturnal hellstorm, but it was Ron and the other guys who approached me and Mm. they wanted to, it was dudes who played in a doom metal band called Ardrune that wanted to also play some more brutal stuff, but didn't want to play it in Ardrune because it would have ruined their doom metal thing, which is completely understandable rather than kind of, you know, mud, muddy that up, just do another band and get all that shit out of your system. And we were at a Guar show and they asked me, I know, I know that wasn't the question, but no, I, was, I wanted to get to that. I wanted to Relative. know how you met Ron. Um, Ron is a coworker of mine. And, you know, when I first met him, uh, we started this job at the same time and Ron has long hair and I immediately identified him as a rock and roll dude. And so we started talking and it turns out we have a lot of the same interests. But when I mentioned Voivod and he clicked, I went, oh, man, now I've found my people because in my working world, in my professional career, in my white collar jobs that I've had, no one knows who Voivod is. So when Ron snapped to Voivod, I was like, "Okay, we're going to get along great. And then I work with him for, you know, a little while. He tells me he used to be in a band with Danny. And I was like, what? (laughs) So how did you meet Ron? So do you think when they make the Joey Ramone biopic, Ron would be perfect? Yeah. (laughs) For the record, I don't know. I don't know Ron yet. Well, he's he's super tall and lanky. And yeah, and he's a singer. Yeah. So he could pass. He could pass for Joey Ramone. Nice. Ron, Ron had a radio show up here called Sudden Death Overtime up in Rochester. At the University was it U of R or RIT? At RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology. And the show was on from like midnight to three in the morning at one particular um, time. And so I knew Ron first as just like a dude I'd see at metal shows who was a DJ. He was like, hey, man, do you want to come on my show? I'm like, sure. He's like, okay, we go on at midnight. I'm like, okay. Can I be on for the first hour? <laughs> like, and uh, so uh, I just, and when SOD had played shows in New York, we were doing stuff in 99 before I moved to Rochester, he had come down and like taken pictures with me. So I recognized him like when I moved up here, like, oh, I met you before I remember that dude. And uh, so then, there was that show I was talking about because I knew about Ardrune too, which is the doom metal band from up here, which the other two dudes, the drummer and the guitar player, were the guys who wanted to play some faster, more brutal stuff. Ron was going to sing and they asked me to play bass. And that became Crucifist. Yeah. 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 So did Crucifist and or uh, Nocturnal Hellstorm release anything? Are there albums out there? Crucifist released one album called Demon Haunted World on a label from Ontario. What the fuck is it called? Yeah, you're going to have to Google that one, buddy. All right. And, uh, <laughs> People <laughs> listening and watching, they got Google. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they do. They got yeah, fingertips, they too. Got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nocturnal Hellstorm released two records. One of them, the second one was self-released because they were like, well, fuck it, it really doesn't matter. It's 2014, you know. But uh, the first one 
was on a subsidiary of Severed Records from Rochester, because Severed Records only puts out extremely brutal, guttural death metal with those kind of bullfrog vocals. But he said, okay, I'll put you you're, uh, I'll put you out of my punk slash black metal label. And we were like, okay, that works. And yeah. that was our debut. And so, yeah, I mean, we were still releasing stuff in like the CD format. There might be a vinyl of one of those or something, but... Cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, that stuff can be found i know all the nocturnal stuff is on spotify i never actually decided to look for the crucifix might be whatever happened to your band hemlock well that was a new york city black metal band which was actually pretty revolutionary back then because that was even before all that usbm bedroom black metal whatever the fuck stuff although i'm friends with some of those dudes you know like neil from creek oh i'm sorry uh what's his evil name uh, uh imperial um and <laughs> Hemlock was another band I was asked to join, and it just worked out because they knew I'd be down to play black metal because we were at the same shows and drank at the same bars, and those guys knew who I was from the bands I'd been in. And, you know, that was when 90s black metal, so in Scandinavia, everybody knew about all those bands and all the controversy and sensationalism, but, you know, sorry, my cat's walking around the house screaming. Um, of course, we never took part in any kind of dumb shit like that because you would get real prison sentences in America. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we were around from 96 to about 2001, and then uh, I moved up here. And after 9-11, our drummer freaked out and wanted to go to Africa, go find Osama bin Laden and strangle him, so we got distracted by that. I mean, wow. that got taken care of eventually, but, you know. Well, Did Hemlock release anything? Yes, we had an EP, two full-eighths, and also, I believe, a couple of splits oh, and, wow. okay. and various labels. Mostly uh, Metallion from Norway's label, Head Not Found, put out our first EP, Crest Race of God, and our first full-eighth funeral mask. and then. Ah, it's a label from Florida calling in. Full Moon Productions. Sorry, I gotta remember this is now uh, going on like you know almost thirty years ago when this shit came out. Yeah, Full Moon Productions put out the uh, last Hemlock record, Lust for Fire, which is incredibly harsh sounding. Halfway, halfway intentional, half just uh, alcohol and drugs at the time of recording. Um. And we did a split with a New York power violence band called Black Army Jacket. And the reason we did that is because there was this whole thing about black metal was supposed to be all exclusive and, oh, you know, you can't fucking play with death metal bands or do splits with bands of other genres. And we were like, sorry, we're going to put out stuff with bands that we think are good instead of fucking third-rate bullshit black metal bands just doing the Dark Throne pinky riff and putting on corpse paint. So, <laughs> you know, I think we made the right decisions. Yeah. Um, well, you, you, it seems like you're, <clears throat> once again, you're you're standing up for the stuff that you um, got into this shit. But you're doing it for the right reason. You, you're doing everything for the right reason, and you're not, 
you're not gonna, oh, we can't do that. Okay, we won't do that. You're doing what you yeah, feel is right. I don't think Danny's ever followed the rules. No. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, uh, if I would have followed the rules, I wouldn't have quit a thrash metal band to start a grindcore band. I mean, exactly. Great fucking career move that was, right? Um, <clears throat> well, you well, started the conversation with you're not doing this for money, and that's kind of where what I'm alluding to by you have to do right. it for the right reason. You can't do it for money. You can't do it for drugs. You can't do it for anything. You have to do it for the right reason. You have to do it for what's good for you and your soul and your head and your heart. Yeah, for the, the cathartic value. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're you're known uh, at least uh, publicly for you know being involved in extreme metal bands of one form or another. If we were to look through your record collection, what would we be surprised to find? Oh, good question. Well, I mean, I suppose if you're allowed, if it's if they could be CDs as well as records, you'd find like sure. really ethereal ambient shit like trance techno or dead can dance now dead can dance early dead can dance is as extreme as any kind of grindcore because it's extremely ethereal and makes you feel like you're floating in outer space like um that's what attracted them to me like but or so as long as something's abnormal sounding you know what i mean or I mean, yeah. shit, even just good thunderous classical music. I mean, so much of good metal is based on that. People don't even oh, realize yeah. that. Yeah. Um, maybe just quirky, weird indie shit like Radiohead. Because, you know, Radiohead, yeah. okay, um, I guess what you'd call industrial, industrial dance, you know, skinny puppy. It's a yeah. darker industrial dance stuff, you know. You know, ministry a lot more people are familiar with, but, you know, skinny puppy, then you're going down a fucking rabbit hole, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Leibach, shit like that. Uh, I know what you're talking about, though. Something like, oh, you're looking for, like, Celine Dion or fucking Avril Lavigne or whatever the fuck. Uh, <laughs> not going to get that. Okay, My Bloody Valentine, but that's still weird and creepy, ain't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, well, you have but, some of the weird... You have some of the weird on the wall next to you, to your right there. You have a Rush poster. Well, it wasn't for those guys. Um, I mean, they're kind of the, the the originators of a lot of different kind of shit. They're kind of like this classic rock crossover prog metal band. Oh, I would agree. The shit they were doing then, you know, yeah. um, were that to be, you know, anybody... Any bands who would play YYZ now, you wouldn't have to make it brutal or speed it up or finger quotes. You yeah. could just play that song with the current guitar tone you got, and it would just still sound sick. Yeah, standard tuning. Need, yeah, it wouldn't mm -hmm. need any enhancing or embellishing or... I mean, let's face it, if you're going to play Ace of Spades, I mean, kick it up 30 BPM, make it interesting, you know, because it's Ace of Spades. It just kind of sits there, and it's like... The train going down the track and goes to the next gear, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Whereas rushes would not need even trees, anything like that, if you had to try singing. And so uh, I would give all credit to Getty Lee being a huge influence for my bass playing, too. Yes. So, yeah. Do you play any other instruments? Well, I can play some guitar. 
I played piano when I was younger, which you would find out if you bought this book when it comes out. Um, <laughs> I can dabble in drums enough to like <clears throat> to show the drummer like play that one and then play that one. Just play yeah. it faster and better than I just did. A lot um, of your a lot of your uh, other musical instrumentations, whether you're subpar or pretty good or quite excellent wouldn't even matter i feel like all of those things are going to help you communicate with collaborations absolutely yeah i mean knowing as much as i know about drums and playing drums has aided me in programming drum parts if i'm trying to show somebody something because i can program drums like a real drummer because i know that the right hand if you're a righty is stronger than the left hand so when you do a fill across the toms instead of sounding wooden you kind of make every first one louder so it sounds human it's hard to describe but there's a lot of stuff you can do where somebody was like dude that's a drum machine i'm like yeah just there's all sorts of things you can do randomizing um certain elements of it how hard drums are hit and how much in time they are if you just tweak a little bit on the perfect timing it gives it a much more natural feel but give it you insert the human error yes yes (laughs) yeah pretty much and then after a while you're like well because on the opposite side of it when you get drummers that go into studios and start whipping out pro tools and lining up all the kick drums and making it sound perfect i'm like why did you bother having an actual drummer? You could have just programmed that and saved $5,000 of fucking recording time. You've just taken all the organic value out of it. Correct. Yeah. Satan. Well, and it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a typewriter too. You know, that kind of metal sounds like typewriter. That's um, put behind that. When you use the trigger a hundred percent, what you were supposed to do when triggers were invented was keep the kick drum sounds, 50% in the mix, and then yeah. 50% of the trigger for definition. Yes. And then what they ended up doing is only using the clicky part of it. And that's where you ended up with the typewriter sounds. There's a certain band that got really popular from Texas that did that. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yes. Yes. I know yeah. yeah. No, we, I think we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> um speaking of that band from texas uh you're friends with charlie still what do you think of this whole pantera thing you know i mean i can understand why people if they're really really passionate about pantera would say oh that's kind of wrong that you're doing it without the fucking bros and everything but there's also people who would say i wasn't around then and if i can be in a fucking big hall listening to fucking these guys play this, even if it's just two of the dudes, and it just fucking, I can close my eyes and it sounds like that, and I can recognize Phil's vocals, then I could see that also being a thing and being okay. I'm not that emotionally invested in it, so I don't care either way, but right. I'm glad if Charlie's having fun, and I'm sure, you know, that uh, playing Vinny's parts, Vinny was more of a feel dude than a technical dude, so I'm sure Charlie's nailing that shit to the wall. Yeah, Charlie's. Yeah, that's the word. That's the word. I've I've not seen it live yet, but that is the word. I heard Zach's having more trouble, but that's understandable because you know Diamond. You know. Yeah, everybody. I think everybody knows that Zach doesn't. He doesn't play like that, and Zach kind of has 
Well, his it's arguable, I guess, but he has his own thing that he does because he's his influences. You can hear his influence. You know who I fucking hear is I hear John Sykes. When I hear Zach, I hear John Sykes. Mm. Like, John Sykes. You know, oh, know John Sykes. I thought John you said John Cyrus, like the full no. list of Asian Steel. I'm like, no. that's a reference. Wow. <laughs> no, 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 John not, Sykes. Yeah, not yeah, John yeah. Cyrus, not John John Sykes. <laughs> You know, the Les Paul, they're just Cyrus. ripping. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. I haven't heard that name in a few years. <laughs> um, well. But but yeah, just the way that, that Zach kind of plays. And I feel like there's a it's a younger audience that is, for the most part, not going to know who John Sykes is when I say that. But uh, well, I agree with that. Oh, yeah. But then but then, you know, the fact that I'm just chiming in here like a parrot, uh, the the idea of Charlie and Zach being there with Rex and Phil, I I don't it's it sounds ugly when I say that sells tickets because you know you got the Zach fans and the Charlie fans and the and you got the Pantera fans and that's oh I got to see this and you know I don't think that it's a train wreck, um, but I understand what you led with that people that are in the Abbott family may have struggled with that idea on a whole. Right. Um, but I think that, I think that they're doing something special, whether you love it or hate it. I know. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen both versions of the band. So I saw the recent tour and I thought it was great, uh, but I also saw the, you know, Pantera with the brothers and that was phenomenal. Um, you mentioned Cliff Burton early in our conversation. Would, did you ever, were, were you ever close with Cliff? Would you call yourselves friends or were you just kind of associates, acquaintances? I didn't get to know him long enough to say that we were friends, but we were definitely halfway between acquaintances and friends because uh, for the time that Metallica was in New York when I was in Anthrax, um, well, we bonded because we were fucking bass players who's tall and skinny and smoked a lot of weed. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I know it's just kind of sad because if you think about all that shit and everything, but um, yeah, he was a super cool dude. And in the short time that I got to know him and hang out with him, um, it was great. And yeah, he was just super chill he was he was more uh he's kind of a country boy he was um from a part of um northern california you know he was just a real uh chill he wasn't a bay area dude so it's hard to describe man no i i get that and and the reason i asked is because uh you you strike me as kindred spirits you 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 and and cliff of course i don't know either one of you personally but uh you guys kind of strike me as your own your own men doing your own thing and kind of I, I could see you guys being buddies well i mean if we had gotten to know each other longer then i'm sure we would have been but uh we definitely got along well and fucking had a lot in common yeah so, yeah and i remember uh it's one thing where those guys had a signing at rock and roll heaven when it was still a flea market and a fucking you know, a flea market, not an actual yeah. record store. You know, yeah. just 
three stalls down, you could get a nice ashtray or something like that. But, um, <laughs> yeah. And this is uh, just for just for people. Rock and roll heaven is that. That's Johnny, Johnny Z's yes. little little stand he had set up in a flea market. It was. Yeah. He eventually moved on to having, you know, a whole store and everything. Course, but at yeah. the beginning, yes. And, you know, it was great that he had that dedication. The original point, before I forget, is that Metallica had some signing and, you know, me and Scott would hung out and watched him. And then because Scott had a car. So then it was like, okay, now it's time to go down to Lemoore where they're playing later. And, uh, we got in the car and uh, Scott and I and Cliff and I got in the back and he's like, all right, let's roll a fucking joint. Because we had just gotten out of the in-store and it was now 2.30 and it was it was a Saturday so the traffic wouldn't be so bad and it's now time to uh, go to Brooklyn from Old Bridge, New Jersey or whatever the hell that was. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, I used to have the... Uh, the rock and roll heaven thing. I had a, a venom shirt, black metal that on the back, it said, uh, I, I, these could have come from Johnny Z's shop. I think I ordered it through the mail and it said from rock and roll heaven to rock and roll hell or something like that. So I want to say that that was a Johnny Z thing that he, a deal that he did with Venom. I don't know if that's true or not, but I always wondered what the hell that is because that's not, I don't think that's part of a Venom tune. Well, I remember when he brought Venom over, we were yeah. very excited about that. Yeah. You know, well, that's why, that's just... why I'm saying it. That's why I think that it might've been a Johnny Z thing that he was selling in his shop. It might've been because I've never seen that shirt. Yeah. And I don't have it anymore. This would have been in fucking 1983 or something, you know? Well, I'm just even trying to wonder if that's like a, a legit shirt or a boot. Cause I've never even seen that shirt. See, yeah. I sound comedian. I sound like I'm from Canada, a boot. Um, <laughs> we live very close to the border. Um, well, um, okay. Here's a funny one. I saw Venom and Metallica at the Paramount in Staten Island. Paramount was an old theater. And when Venom opened up at Witching Hour, they fucking, after the guitar riff, when the drums came in, that's when they set the pyro off. And it was way too much. I don't know if you've ever heard the audio tape of that, or Christ, it might be on YouTube, but if you put Venom Metallic, Paramount, Staten Island, 83, or something like that, um, about three seconds after the beat comes in on Witching Hour, you know, that, you know, bah, 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 whatever it is, that kind of thrashy beat. Mm -hmm. That's when the uh, bombs go off because it has that delayed thing where you hit it and then it takes a second. So uh, <clears throat> I'll do a quick imitation. <laughs> so when you hear the audio and I was at that show when that happened. There was plaster coming down from the ceiling. Oh no! It was um, definitely whoever was you know supposed to be on a kind of safety crew. Like, yep, that's okay. That shouldn't do anything. You know, definitely lost <laughs> their job. Yeah, whoops. And wow. That's my memory of Venom and New Jersey and Johnny Z, and because Staten Island is pretty much New Jersey, to be honest. Wow. Wow. Man. So much history with you. Um, let me ask you one last question. Then if Jason has something, we'll let him jump in uh, and then we'll let you get on with your Friday night. But 
um, considering uh, that you're you're still on good terms with the SOD guys, and that would be a, a temporary thing for them because they're all busy with their own thing. You've already told us that you're not really looking to get in an active touring band. But if there was a chance to do another SOD album and maybe some fly out dates or whatever, uh, would you do that? Sure. It would have to be the original members, though, and I have reason to believe that's not going to happen. Yeah. So what is the beef with Billy and Charlie? That's not something I'm going to go into, man. Okay. uh, That would be something I'd rather avoid talking about, so I'm not going to. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm Mr. Neutral, believe me, but... um, yeah gotcha gotcha so mm-hmm. if if by some miracle the the original band could get together you'd be interested in doing something but the odds are highly against that so pretty much yeah well you can ask billy does he live around the corner is he like still bouncing at headhunters or something yeah that, that <laughs> headhunters is long gone but he's still gone. around right well you tell him i said hi i sure will yeah yeah i'm, I'm fine with billy yeah so. all right well <clears throat> I was going to say, yeah, I was just going to say thank you for your body of work. And um, are you I have I have I do have a legit question, but my thank you is sincere. The uh, do you have a um, a way to record and write at your house? You have like a little writing setup that you have at your house asking for a friend. I do, but it would just, um, it's pretty much just using Apple Logic on my iMac. And now that we are homeowners, I could technically record guitar and bass properly with real amplification. But these days, you even have to fucking bother because the emulators they have are so good. Yeah. Just like, well, let me try this thing they're calling. Holy shit, that sounds good. Okay, that'll work. Yeah, you know, and then you can just do it in your headphones at three in the morning or something. But yeah, yes, the, the plugins are actually, good. Yeah, um, I've done it already. Where you know, if somebody's like, "Oh, we need a bass track for something," then yeah, I can do that. Oh yeah, that was kind of my question. Is there? Are you just uh, like writing with friends or collaborating with friends or th- sending tracks to people that request them for you know lunch money or you know whatever? Well, this kind of ties in with what Dave was saying before about, you know, are you doing any bands? There might be a for fun bands, which is, uh, it would be me and a good friend of mine, Eric, the guitar player who was played in both Nuclear Assault and Brutal Truth when they came back in the knots and whatever. Mm-hmm. And the dude who played drums in Nocturnal Hellstorm with Ron, Dave's friend, and it would be a three-piece, and we would just do stuff that would sound like early primitive napalm death just for fun because it's just that good old, you know, Flintstones on Molly kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's yeah. your album title. That, yeah. that might even be the name of the band, you know? Yeah, know. There's your album title at <laughs> <Exactly>. least. <laughs> That's awesome. Just imagine that, you know, yabba dabba fucking do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love it. That's I bit, love it. that I love it. <clears throat> hey, Danny, we'll for, let you get on with yeah. your Friday night, man. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Uh, as Jason said, we're big fans of your body of work. We consider you one of the architects of the type of music that we love. Uh, we wouldn't have a lot of the records 
uh, and the bands that we enjoy if it wasn't for you laying the groundwork. So yeah, thank you real, real quick, I feel like I feel like, Thanks. you know, Dan is one of these fucking guys that doesn't get. Like if there was a, a you put the word crossover, just play along, you put the word crossover and there's a, a handful of names under there. Dan's one of the names because I feel like nuclear assault and even SOD kind of in a way because it's kind of hardcore and it's kind of metal and it's kind of rock and totally. roll and it's kind of humorous and it's not serious, but it's serious and it's fun. And it's a, anyway, it's kind of this like uh, explosion of things. And I just, the, the proper word, I feel like, even though crossover means so many different things, uh, I feel like it's definitely uh, Dan is part of the makeup of that, that definition. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's uh that's very flattering. I mean, really the way that shit worked was that we were lucky to live in New York City and be exposed to a really vibrant hardcore scene and what drew us to it was that when we got into thrash, I mean, you know, we started getting, you know, Metallica and then Slayer, we just wanted to find well, these and they're like, dude, there's bands that play fast all day at CBGB. Just go down there. And we're like, okay. So, um, yeah, you guys had fruit on the tree. You just had to go to the tree, right? Yeah. And then the whole realistic attitude and the realistic lyrics kind of rubbed off on us because we're like, I mean, sure, I still obviously I played in black metal bands, but I was never the lyricist. But yeah, um, it's really not that far apart. People would say, well, how could you play in black metal bands and then play in hardcore, which is like, you know, some kind of like, you know, anti-fascist stuff like, well, black metal's not fascist, first of all. It was all that shit's about liberation, whether it's liberation from a church that would drag you down or a government that would drag you down. It's right. the same fucking source that needs to be. I'll stop there. I get it. I'll say eliminated. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Some of those old Watchtower lyrics are about the same fucking thing. Yeah, I mean, I didn't write them. I didn't write them. Just like you were in black metal band, you weren't the lyricist. I was in Watchtower, wasn't the lyricist. But yeah. Well, when you boil it all down, when you boil it all down, at the heart of rock and roll is always rebellion of some sort. So important. It's important. Yeah, it's a key ingredient. Some 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 people some people just up the dose. (laughs) <laughs> well yeah um, some people did up the dose and then uh quite a bit yeah i know some of those people um <laughs> but uh hey guys it's um it's been a pleasure hanging out with you guys yeah, yeah absolutely and thank you thanks for thanks for being in touch and thanks for joining us today on behalf of my co-host jason mcmaster i'm metal dave along with our special guest today danny lilker on the talk louder podcast